Good morning. Hey, uh, real quick on the announcement regarding this New Year's Eve. It's actually New Year's Eve Eve. So um, we're not going to be gathering on Saturday night. That would be a little rough for all of us, uh, especially the church staff. So we're going to gather on Friday night, which is the 30th. So it's New Year's Eve's Eve. Uh, and so we'll have a soup potluck and game night that night, uh, Saturday, at least for us to recover and get everything um, back in its place. And then on Sunday morning, uh, we'll gather. And then in years past, we've just had one New Year's Day uh, service. You know, sometimes there's different family traditions and a lot of traveling happening. And so we are looking forward, though, to gathering that day, as we are um, already mentioned on Christmas morning as well. And so if you're able to join us, we'd love for you to be able to do that. It will be different messages too, by the way. Sometimes people ask if we're going to do the same message. So it'll be a different message. So Christmas Eve's message will be different than Christmas Day's message. Okay. All right. Uh, hey, guys, please be in prayer for uh, our youth pastor's wife, Anna. Some of you guys know Josh and Anna. So uh, she is in the hospital uh, in labor right now, and they're expecting their first baby, and so we want to be in prayer for them, and really excited, you know, for their family. All right. Well, I hope that you had a, a wonderful holiday week, and was restful, and fun, and relaxing, and you got your fill of turkey, or whatever uh, you guys might eat during the holiday time. We're going to jump right in. So if you have a Bible with you, we're in the book of James, as most of you know. We're looking at chapter 5 this morning. If you need to borrow a Bible, you can raise your hand real high, and the guys will be happy to let you borrow a Bible if you need. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 15. 13 through 15. We're almost there at the end. We will be finishing up probably another week, maybe two, depending on how the Lord leads. Uh, and then we'll roll into 1 Peter after the new year. And so, again, because of Christmas, we'll have some special messages I have a special message on New Year's Day, and then we'll um, roll right into 1 Peter that second Sunday uh, of the new year. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to 1 Peter and 2 Peter with you guys. It's a great book. But we're not done with this great book, James, again, chapter 5. If you're there with me, I'm going to invite you to stand as it is our custom and habit here at Calvary. Most of you know that. Again, James chapter 5. James writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Well, let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. All right, we're going to pause there. Three verses this morning. Uh, LJ prayed for us. Why don't you take a moment and say hello to your neighbor. If there's somebody new, you can introduce yourself. And then you can have a seat. So I entitled our, our message this morning, The, the Power Tool of Prayer. Uh, anybody here own power tools? Anybody here own more than one power tool? You know, multiple power tools, right? I don't know about you, but there's something about power tools. I, I mean, just to own them makes me feel significant. You know, like, <laughs> even carrying one around when it's fully charged, like, there's just, 
my swagger's a little different, you know, it's like. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of different power tools available now. Like, like almost everything's powered now, it's amazing. Because I, I, I do think the power drill, right? The power drill is one of the most important versatile tools. Uh, my wife uses it now too. Like we put the attachment and there's one little thing you can like clean your shower with it. You see that? Like you put a scrubby thing. I'm like, man, it's like a loofah. I can do my body and it's just awesome. So. Of course, cordless is the way to go, but I found out, I found out with some of the other guys around here, like Josh and Josh and some of these guys, uh, I showed up one time with a, a 12 volt and they were, they were like giving me like, it's like a kiddie's tool, you know, like a little kid's power tool. So apparently you have to, you don't settle for anything less than 18 volts is the, is the deal, is my understanding, so. Uh, but, I, you know, to me, power tools, I've noticed that they're not just for construction or home improvement anymore. I mean, they, not only do they have power sanders for wood, but now they have power sanders for your feet. Have you seen that? Little power tool that you can, I mean, you can make sawdust and now you can make skin dust, right? Like leave a little pile of your heel on the table. Yeah. Uh, they, they have these beauty products. Now there's this face sucker thing. Have you seen that? Right? Like it's like a powerful vacuum and it just, just sucks your everything. It's gross. That's what happened to me the other day. I just was trying it out and oh man. Face massagers. Uh, Becca got gifted this eye massager thing. It looked like a virtual reality glasses, but apparently my daughter you know, massages your eyes and looks like futuristic. Uh, uh, but of all the power tools and personal ones and beauty ones that, that are in my house, um, the one that my wife and my son love the most and they fight over the most is this power massage gun. You guys seen those things? Right? Like, have you used them before? Yeah. It'll rattle your teeth loose. Like it is, they're amazing, but yeah, your bones will come loose. Um, and so we have all of these various power tools and instruments that are available to us to help us, to aid us when we're building things, constructing things, um, to include our health now, to aid us in caring for our bodies and our face and all these things. Uh, but when, you know, when it comes to our our spiritual health care. When it comes to uh, building a life of faith, uh, James basically lets us know that God has provided us uh, some, some spiritual power tools. And it's James chapter 5 that we're reminded of one of the most powerful tools that God has given you and me, and that is prayer. And James will tell us essentially that it's a, it's a tool that's versatile, that we can use it in a variety of ways in all kinds of circumstances, and it's powerful, and it's available, and, uh, and we should use it. And so in our time this morning, we're going to consider some of those occasions where we should apply, if you will, the, the power tool of prayer in our lives. So I draw your attention back to verse 13, and we'll pull this apart as we do. He begins with this question, is anyone among you suffering? All right, we'll pause there. Maybe you can answer that question in your own heart. Is anyone among you suffering? Now, James begins this section with this question, and of course, he's going to have several questions that he writes to his original audience. But remember, uh, 
even though for us we're looking at these set of verses today almost in its own section, that James was writing this, and what we're reading really is a continuation. We remember we want to understand our context. It's a continuation of encouragement. It's a continuation of exhortation to the believers that he's writing to who were going through some very difficult times. They, they were being challenged in their faith. They were being tempted to look and live like the world. Uh, they had relationships that were strained. Uh, there was a lot of disparity and, um, and mistreatment. And so back in verse 7, he was encouraging them, encouraging us to be patient when we go through those things, to be patient through the tough times and the rough roads of life. He reminded us that this is not our home, that we're just passing through, like turbulence on an airplane. I think that was part of our illustration, right? It, it may shake you, you may get scared in the moment, but it's that, it's momentary. And he reminded us that Christ is coming back soon. And it's that perspective, that, that life and, and our troubles, that it is temporary and it's temporal. And for us to have then an eternal perspective, it helps then through the hardest of circumstances to know that we're just passing through, that Christ is coming back. He's warned us to uh, watch our words, guard our hearts when we're stressed and we're strained and we're uh, frustrated. Because if you're like me, uh, sometimes we can say the dumbest and meanest uh, unguarded things in those times where we're stressed out or we're upset. And the temptation is that we can lash out. We take it out on others. And far too often, it's at the people that are closest to us. It's our family. It's our friends. It's people within the church. Sometimes we find that we want to blame others or blame them for the situation that we find ourselves in. Sometimes uh, we're tempted to blame God, that we become angry, we're embittered, frustrated with the Lord. You know, we're suffering, we're hurting. And so it's in that context now that James asks the question, are you in that place today? Is anyone among you, is anybody here today that, that you're suffering, you're hurting? Now that, that word suffering can be translated as distress or in trouble. It's not just a physical suffering, but it can be emotional, it can be spiritual, it can be mental. That you're distressed by something that's happening in your life. Now, what's implied is that God knows, God sees, God cares. The Bible says that God cares so much for you and for me that he even knows the number of hairs upon your head. The idea that he knows you intimately and with every detail. And yes, even knows when we blow it and we've made mistakes. And guess what? God loves you still. Now, I don't know what you might be going through. I know for some of you, because you've shared with me and we get to pray together, but, but God knows. And I do know that he's allowed whatever pain, whatever frustration, whatever suffering, whatever difficulties that you're, that you're bearing now, 
that God has allowed that as a means, as a type of prod, as a type of pathway to bring you closer to him. And so that's what James prescribes for us. If we find ourselves in this place where we're suffering, we're hurting, we're frustrated, what do we do? Well, we go to the Lord. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Because again, we, we could be tempted to take that and, and bring it to somebody else. Or, or it, it manifests as lashing out or anger, frustration. Or sometimes it can even manifest that we begin to wallow in our own self-pity of circumstance. But James prescribes for us, what do we do when you're in that place? If I can use our illustration, well, we grab the power tool of prayer and we, and we get to work. We take that to the Lord and it's pain and it's problems and it's the struggle and it's the strain and it's the tears and it's all of that, that, that God wants to use that as the prompt to get you and me then to come to him. That's the indicator light. Come to the Lord before anything else that you do, come to the Lord and pray. So very simply, James reminds us when, when life hands you troubles. When you get that, then give that right to the Lord. God, I'm bringing this right to you. And I have found in my own life, maybe you can relate that when I'm stressed and frustrated, I'm hurting, there's a part of me that's like, okay, I'm going to just fix it myself. I'm going to find the solution. I'm going I'm to do it on my own. And I tend then to rely upon my resources and my wits and my thinking and my so-called ingenuity, which I have none, or, or my credit card. And, and, and I go, that's the first thing I go to grab as a you know, solution to the problem. Maybe you can relate. But God wants us that the default response, the default response to difficulties, to hurts, to suffering, to frustrations and worries, is that we would take them to prayer. Because again, we can be tempted to do something else and take a different path. And I've seen that. And sometimes it's almost as though the greater difficulty, we're tempted then to make extreme movements, right? extreme reactions and immediate responses that we haven't prayed over. It just becomes just uh, reactionary. And again, if you're like me, I, I, I've made those, I, I'll, I'll call it a mistake, or run ahead of the Lord. And I just create a bigger problem. Listen, don't, don't freak out and don't get crazy I say this in love, you know, don't reach for the bottle. Don't go charging off. Don't go collapsing inward. It's very simple. James says, listen, if you find yourself in that place and you don't know what to do, come to the Lord. Come to the Lord and pray. We're going to read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 when we get to Peter, but I'll just, he just says, cast all your cares and worries upon the Lord. Give them to him. Even as we sang this morning, 
Why? Because he cares for you. The Lord cares for you. God cares about you. And sometimes we feel like nobody cares, nobody knows, nobody understands what I'm going through. And the Lord does. If you're with us through Hebrews, you remember uh, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that Jesus knows exactly what we're going through, that we have a high priest who's lived, if you will, in our skin and walked in our shoes and understands perfectly the struggles and the trials and the pain and the temptations and everything that you and I can go through and loves us anyways. And we can come to him boldly anytime that we need. Hebrews 4.16. The writer says, let's come boldly to God's throne room of grace that we can find our help and mercy in our time of need. You know, you go through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament like, but especially in the Psalms. And you find how many times that people who are in a place of distress, especially David, a lot of them parallel, right? The, when he's on the run from King Saul and the things that he was going through, you know, it, in a sense, he, he had a journal, he had a diary, and he had a song in his heart. And, and out of those difficult, trying times, he, he writes some, some very beautiful poetry and things that we read today and we can relate. And sometimes they're just really raw. Like, Lord, break their teeth. <laughs> Where are you, God? Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? I mean, very raw and very real. You go through the Psalms and, and people crying out to the Lord in their distress, crying out to the Lord in their hurt and their anger. He says, oh, my, my tears have been my food. And my pillow soaked with my crying. But who is able to truly help? I mean, who knows every detail and every aspect of your pain and your problem? Well, the Lord does. Psalm 121, verses 1 through 2, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills or the mountains. Where does my help come from? Well, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. Psalm 18, verses 2 and 3, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take my refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And so shall I be saved from my enemies. Can you listen, even the act uh, of coming to the Lord in prayer, right? just, just that action of taking your troubles and taking your cares and you bring them to the Lord, that this, that action in itself it is a means of comfort and relief. An act of surrender. An act of dependence. That we're saying, Lord, uh, you know, and I don't know, and you see, and I see very limited and Lord, you have all resource, and I have very limited resource. And so I'm going to bring this to you. And, and often just in that action, it provides us then perspective, and it, it provides us peace. We get to see how much bigger the Lord is compared to us and our problems. Of course, the Bible promises 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Paul says, let us not be anxious for anything, but rather in everything with thanksgiving. We can come to the Lord. We make our requests known to God. And what does the Lord do? It's the great exchange for us. We give him our problems and our troubles. And the Lord says, here you go. I'm going to give you peace. A peace that will surpass understanding. You don't even have to think and worry about it. You don't have to get in your own head. Just you can experience this. And it guards then our hearts and it guards then our minds. So we don't freak out and we don't panic. We realize, okay, God, you're in control. You're bigger than this. And it's a good reminder because sometimes we, you know, we, we begin to look at our problems so closely, right? Eclipse uh, the Lord, at least from our perspective. But how big is God? How big is your God? <laughs> and also we need to understand that it just says, let him pray. To pray doesn't automatically mean that God is going to take away your affliction. We want to make sure we understand this too. When we bring these things to the Lord, it doesn't mean that we have a guarantee that all of a sudden all our suffering stops, all our pain goes away, all of our trials and troubles are gone. Now, sometimes in His grace, He will. He'll deliver us from those things. But sometimes he doesn't. And that's, the, that's the, uh, the challenging part, right? Sometimes we'll like, well, I prayed. I prayed about this, and the Lord doesn't do anything. And we make the assumption that though God didn't hear us then, or God doesn't care. But nothing can be further from the truth. The Bible tells us directly that God cares for us. Sometimes he doesn't deliver us from those ailments and struggles and suffering and pain and frustration and, 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 you know, illness or whatever that we can be going through. Sometimes what God does is he provides us then the strength and the grace to endure it. The perspective and the perseverance to get through that trial and through those struggles. Sometimes that's the way the Lord answers your prayer. Doesn't deliver you, but he strengthens you. But again, either way, the result is that God wants to bring us closer to him. Now, I need to park just for a little bit longer. You know, there are times too when we're suffering and we're experiencing it because of our own doing. And next week, we'll, we'll get into that because he's going to talk about at the end of verse 15, if you've committed sins, then you'll be forgiven. And in verse 16, confess our trespasses one to another and pray for each other. And the idea of how sometimes our, our difficulties are self-induced because we've wandered off from the Lord. We're not doing what God wants us to do. And so our suffering and our trials are of our own doing. We've made some bad decisions. We've run ahead of God or not following the Lord. We've fallen into sin. We've wandered off. And so as a means to get you to come back to the Lord, 
God then allows, if you will, prescribes hardships and difficulties. And suffering then becomes the means which God brings you to him or back to him. You think about the the account of Jonah in the Old Testament. That's quite the fishing story, Jonah, right? God, God told Jonah, go, and Jonah said, no, <laughs> and he took off the other direction. And the Lord allowed him to do what he wanted to do for, for a season. He only got so far, though. And if you know the account, you know that soon a lot of hardships came his way. A literal storm that he found himself in it impacted not just himself, but everybody around him because of his disobedience. And so God allowed that. God brought that. And then the Lord also brought supernaturally this, this great fish that when Jonah was thrown overboard, swallowed him whole. And it's in that, it's in the fish in that dark, terrible place that Jonah cries out to the Lord in the second chapter of Jonah, we read in the seventh verse, and he says, my soul fainted within me. I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to his holy temple. I mean, sometimes it's of our own doing. Is anyone here suffering? Maybe you're like, yeah, that's me. One of the one questions we can ask is, Is that because we brought ourselves into that place? And yet the response is still the same. You can pray. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me to repent and turn from where I've wandered off. Because God will allow us to experience these things, again, as a result of our sin and our attempts to run or hide from the Lord. And then that experience in itself becomes the spanking stick. That experience in itself, the challenge and the difficulty in itself becomes the means in which God wants to bring you, you know, for you and me to repent and, and come to the Lord. So it, it's worth the question asking, Lord, why am I going through this? And maybe the answer is because you've wandered off from the Lord. Trying to hide your sin or live in a place And it's miserable for you. And so the Lord would say in love and grace and forgiveness, hey, return to me today. Pray and repent. Not not all trials and troubles are punishment. James referenced Job back in verse 11. The Bible calls Job a blameless and upright man. And we talked about him two weeks ago, if you remember. And yet, righteous, blameless. He's a good guy. He's a good dad. And yet he suffered terribly. Terribly. And yet God had a greater purpose for his pain. God had a divine design for the problems that he was going through. That, that then we first understand at the beginning, if you follow the account, you, we're, we're just suffering with him. We want to sit in that same spot and, and just our hearts break and mourn. And yet Job still prayed. 
For a season, it seemed that God didn't answer, or the answer was no. And Job came to accept what God had then given him. Remember, we, we talked about how he tells his wife, should we only accept good things from the Lord? Shall we not also accept adversity? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And so he's trusting God. Again, when we're hurting, we're troubled. It, it's not always because we've wandered off. Sometimes it's just God has a divine design. He has a greater purpose than we know at this particular chapter in our life. What God's wanting to do. But in all of it, God wants us to come to prayer. That's the point. And so for suffering, James says, let's pray. Come to the Lord in prayer. Then he asks, is anyone cheerful? So here's the second question. And he prescribes what to do. If anyone's cheerful, we'll let them sing psalms. Anybody here feeling good? Life is good. Life is grand. Your turkey turned out perfect this year. You're happy in the moment. If that's you this morning, praise the Lord. Literally, we get to praise the Lord. What are you directed to do? Sing songs. Let them sing psalms. Again, it's not necessarily uh, Pharrell Williams' happy song, or if you're happy, you know, clap your hands. Yeah. But isn't it interesting that God, God prescribes singing as a response? Like, think about that for a moment. God, God prescribes singing as a response to, uh, you know, our heart condition. For in a place that we're just experiencing joy and, and blessing, what do we do with that? God says, sing to him. Prescribes music and singing as a, a way to express our gladness. Again, there's a lot to say. I mean, there. So important part of our faith. It's such an important part of our faith. Worship. Praising the Lord. Do you know it's something we're going to do in heaven? There's a lot of things that we get to do on this side of eternity that we're not going to get to do in heaven. Do you know that? Evangelize is one. We, we get to, and we should be, sharing our faith with people around us. But when we get to heaven... Evangelism is not part of what we're going to do. You know what's another part of what we're not going to do? Sleep. That's why I try to get as much as I can on this side. <laughs> There's no sleep in heaven. That's amazing. No need for rock stars or uh, Red Bulls. or We're just going to be with the Lord, completely energized. But what, are we, what do we get to do? What is an activity of heaven that we get to participate on this side of eternity, on the other side of eternity? Worship. Amen. Worship. And so we get to, when we worship the Lord, we're joining the activity of eternity. Think about that. That's a heavenly function. And of course, singing praises is a form of prayer. We're directing our praise upward and ascribing greatness and glory and majesty uh, you know, to the Lord of hosts. 
It's expressing gratitude and love and thanksgiving to God and for God. And there, there's a, a lot to say about our heart of worship and a heart that God wants us to cultivate. I'll just say this. It's just not something we only do at church, by the way. Right? But we should be doing it at church. <laughs> Sometimes I think, I'll speak for myself. My energy level when I come to worship versus like when I'm watching a sports game, right? Football season happening? Or the World Cup? Like when, when Japan, did you see the, when Japan scored that second goal? Like I jumped up and was raising my hands and shouting. And, but I'm convicted. Like my energy level and my exuberance and my zeal for earthly and worldly things, and now I get fired up for that? Then sometimes I come and we come, right? We come to church and it's almost like a golf, it's just golf clapping, you know? But man, we should be exuberant for the Lord, for our faith and what God has done. But it isn't just something we do at church, right? Worship should be our lifestyle. It should be a posture of our hearts. And it isn't just the warm-up to the message uh, on Sunday, by the way. It's a very important part of our service. And I encourage you as best you can, make it a priority to be here and worship the Lord together with the body of Christ. But also worship at your house. Play worship music at your home and in your car with your kids if you have kids. And, And by the way, certainly... If we're cheerful, there's a prescription of what do we do with that energy? Let's direct it to the Lord. But it's not reserved for only when we're cheerful. I mean, James doesn't cover that, but that's also biblical. Right? Because we can worship and we should, maybe I'll say it this way, we should worship the Lord regardless of how we feel. Our circumstances. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, we read how Paul and his buddy Silas uh, were thrown in prison because they were sharing their faith. Miraculous things were happening. They get arrested. They get thrown in prison. They're placed in the dungeon. Acts 16 says their feet were put in stocks. So they're immobilized, you know. It was terrible. But then Acts 16, verse 25, it says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. So in the middle of the night, in their circumstance, they're not, oh, woe is us, oh, woe is me. Nobody knows. You know. They're praying, and they start singing, and they're singing out loud. They're not just singing in their hearts, because it says the other prisoners were hearing what they were doing. And they're just rejoicing in the Lord. The other prisoners listening became this testimony and witness. What's wrong with those guys? They're crazy. And of course, you know the account, if you remember, that God would do a supernatural thing with that. But see, the Lord is worthy of our praise and our worship, regardless of how we feel. And so sometimes we're like, I'm not feeling it. doesn't matter you're not feeling it. God deserves it regardless of our attitude or our mood. And, and so again, 
James exhorts us to sing and praise when we're cheerful, but it's not reserved for only that. But why, why, would, he, why would he offer this for us, though? Direct us to this? I, I'll, I'll give you one suggestion. I, I think it's because it's easy to forget to praise and thank God when life is going well. It might be easy when things are hard, right? Lord, help me. I can't find my keys. I'm running late, you know. We're more serious things when our family is sick. They're not doing well, right? Our, our prayers can become intense quick. But sometimes on the other side of that, when life is good, you got some money in the bank and the kids aren't acting up and you're not in the doghouse with your wife. And things are humming along pretty good. Well, we, we, if you're like me, right, your, our prayer life can begin to slack a little. Remember the account, the 10 lepers? It's in Luke chapter 17. There's this account where these 10 lepers, these people who are, these men who are inflicted with incurable disease. And, and they, they come to the Lord and, and Jesus heals them, all of them. And, and they go off and they're excited and rightly so. I imagine they're going to go to places they weren't allowed to go before, right? They're going to Costco. They're going to Family Mart, right? They're, they're, they're excited. And only one of them comes back. One comes back and says, thank you. And in that exchange, Jesus asks him, where, where are the other nine? Where are the other vatos? Only one came back. It's interesting to note that Jesus noted who's not there. The missing nine. The nine who didn't come and give thanks and offer any kind of gratitude. We just celebrated Thanksgiving, but guess what? For the Christian, Thanksgiving is every day. We may not eat turkey every day, but we can be giving thanks every day. And we should be. Continually giving praise, continually rejoicing and singing and making melody in our hearts, the Bible would say. Certainly when we're cheerful, certainly when things are going great, to take that to the Lord and say, God, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness in my life. Verse 14, he says, is anyone among you sick? Here's the third question. Is anyone here sick? Again, it's another common life situation. This is a power tool for every day. When we're suffering, when we're doing well, but also when we're not feeling well. We're sick. Now, we we live in a fallen world, right? The biblical worldview of why sickness and disease and death exist is because Adam and Eve blew it in the garden. And so when they disobeyed the Lord, when they sinned, That opened the door, if you will, for sin to come into this world, and everything became corrupted. The world was corrupted. Nature's corrupted. Work was corrupted. Our bodies were corrupted. And so sickness and disease and illness and viruses and a bacteria, I mean, all of it 
the result of sin that infects the world. And so when we're sick, it's a result of that. And it's not just physical sickness, but includes mental and emotional and, and certainly spiritual. And the idea then of this question is then if you're in this place, if you're not feeling well, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Notice what the prescription is. Let, let him call for the elders of the church and let them then pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I mean, sooner or later, we're going to find ourselves in this place. Amen. We're running on, on empty. We've depleted ourselves. Now, there's... There's a lot of debate amongst Bible scholars and commentators of, as to what does James mean here when he used the word sick. Some would suggest that James is referring to only the spiritually weak. Because that word sick can also be translated as uh, weakened or kind of you know, weathered, you're beat up. And so there, there's reality to that, right? The Christian life is not easy. Anybody here find the Christian life easy? All right. Following Jesus can be hard at times. And the Lord told us it would be. We walk with the Lord for any amount of time, and you know, right, you'll, you're going to take some shots from the world. Sometimes they come from even our own family and our friends, people that we once did life with, and they don't understand what you're doing. They don't understand your values or why you decided to, you know, love the Lord and worship the Lord and spend a Sunday morning going to church. It's weird to them. Sometimes we take shots even from other Christians, unfortunately. The sad reality is that sometimes sheep bite sheep. It shouldn't be that way. And yet that's what happens. And along the way, what can happen to us? Well, we can get fatigued. We get battle fatigued. We get tired and we get weary and we get stressed. Of course, Jesus gives us this great invitation. If anybody, if anyone is weary or tired, if you're heavy laden, come to me, he says. Come to me. So certainly we should, and we can press into the Lord for our every need, and we're in that place to go to the Lord. And yet at the same time, God has also given us community, placed us in relationships, one with another, in this thing called the church. And for you and for me in this season here at Calvary Chapel, if you're going to call this church your home church, and I pray that you would, we then get to be, if you will, the physical uh, representation. We get to be the hands and feet of the Lord for each other. To esteem and to help and to encourage and to lift and to love and to support, to, to spur each other on. It's in this context that we get to do life together and pray for one another and spur one another. We lock our shields, if you will, advance the kingdom of God together. And so when we're feeling then depleted, weary and low, what do we do? Well, remember, you're not alone. First of all, you're not alone. God hasn't called you to be a lone ranger. God, God doesn't call you to fight that by yourself. He's placed you 
in the body of Christ and, and given us responsibility of caring for each other. And if we're not doing that, then we're not doing our job. Because we're called to love and we're called to support and we're called to, to bear each other up. And in the midst of then of this dynamic called the church, God also then has uh, certain people that have certain roles and responsibilities. And we're all called to serve, by the way. The book of Ephesians says that we're placed in this thing as the body of Christ, and, and when we all do our part, it causes for the effectual growing of all of us together. But then within the body, God has different responsibilities and roles. And, and, and one of those responsibilities and roles is the pastor, the elder, the leader. Some are deacons, right? Some are worship leaders, children's ministry. We, we, we have different functions and responsibilities. But it is that particular responsibility and role of the pastor and the elder that God has given for us to love and to lead and to teach and to tend and it's that particular group that James says, hey, when you're in a place where you're feeling depleted, you can call on them. You should call on them because that's part of their function. Now, to call on them, there's, there's several implications here or things that are implied. The first is that, is that you know them. It implies then that we're actively engaged and participating and being a part of the life of the church. So that you know exactly who to call when you're in a place where you need some extra help. And so notice that it places the ownership on the person who's sick. Anybody here sick? James doesn't say, let them pray. He, it says, let them call for the elders who then will come and pray, anointing them with oil. But again, that, that implies then we... We're willing to do that. Because when we're sick or we're hurting, and by the way, I mentioned some interpret this as only spiritually weak. I, I understand the argument we'll talk about it in a little bit, but I, I believe the application is for any sick, any weakness, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, medically, whatever category I'm missing, that we should then humbly ask for prayer. Because there's an element for us then to call for somebody requires humility. Right? It, what's built into that is to say, okay, I, I can't do this by myself then. I, I have to let somebody know. And in the framework of that, it it creates a vulnerability, and sometimes we're afraid of that, right? We we don't want to be vulnerable. We want to appear weak. And I know maybe maybe it's hard for you, but James challenges us this morning. Why is it hard for us? I know for me, for many years, why it was hard for me is just a form of pride. You know, God, think of it this way. God might be allowing you to struggle 
And part of that as a means to teach you that you're not alone. Have you thought about that? And that you can't do this by yourself because he doesn't want you to go through this by yourself. That you have to call. You have to reach out. You're without resource. And so James says, let that person call for the elders of the church and let them come, let them pray over and let them anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so there's a responsibility if you find yourself in that place for you and for me to call and reach out to the elders and say, hey, I'm in a place where I'm hurting. Can you pray for me? And there's a responsibility of the church leadership then to respond to that. And this is a great charge then for pastors and leaders. This is a reminder for me and for our leadership here, for Chaplain uh, Rob and, and others, like that we are God's under shepherds. But as such, we are to be actively involved and available to God's people. That pastors are called to be servants. And it's not just preaching and teaching. That's not the function. It's walking and living and praying and caring and beside all of us in our times of need. And when we need it, to pray for us when we're hurting. And there's something special. Have you experienced this at a previous church? I pray that it'll be your experience here with us. Right, where, where you have this dynamic of, of, a, of a loving, caring, earthly, all these qualifying words, but important, under-shepherd who's faithful to God's people. It's so different. The dynamic is so different than to go to a church where you, you see the pastor and then you don't ever talk to them. They don't ever pray for you. You don't have any relationship with them. I get it. It's harder when the church is larger. But when we're sick in body and mind or spirit, when we're weak, we need encouragement. We can go to those that God has raised up as leaders and say, will you pray for me? And James prescribes this prayer, notice, with the anointing of oil. And that practice is from the Old Testament custom and tradition. God prescribed in the Old Testament for a variety of reasons. Uh, people were anointed. Animals were anointed. Items, you know, things, tools were anointed. Places were anointed. And often it was symbolic of, uh, of God's blessing, of the Holy Spirit, you know, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so when we move our, make our way into the New Testament, we find these occasions. And even here where James says, then when you're receiving prayer, then also that the elders can anoint the person with oil. You know, there are a number of, of things that we find in Scripture that become an expression of worship and, and an expression of prayer that's tactile for us. Communion, communion is one example. Communion is we get to eat and, and drink of the bread and the cup. And it becomes a, 
a tasteable, tactile, sensory expression of our, of our identity in Christ. That's prescribed. As often as we do that, we're to do right, in remembrance of the Lord, to eat the bread and drink the cup. And so it, it's, a, it's a sensory experience. When we're baptized in water for you know, the outward expression of our faith that Christ has come into our life and now we're a new creation in the Lord. That, that's very sensory. And a couple weeks ago, we got to baptize 14 people. That was a very sensory experience. Beautiful. And so there's times where you make your way through Scripture and the Lord um, prescribes these particular things. They become tangible for us. They become a sensory experience for us. And the anointing of oil is like this too. It's just it's a tactile experience of our prayers to the Lord, reminding us of, of the spiritual function of the anointing of the Spirit, of the work of God in, in this person's life or our life if we're being anointed. Reminds us of the power of God. Of course, then to pray, and I think this is a very important qualifier, in the name of the Lord. To pray in the name of the Lord. To pray in the name of the Lord means to pray according to his power and his namesake. It's according to his will. Because the power doesn't rest in the oil. It's in the the one to whom we're praying to. And that's where he then says in verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Again, according to several Bible commentators, this verse is difficult to interpret. And the reason why it's difficult to interpret is that if we define sick as physically sick, right, they're suffering with illness, cancer, or whatever it may be, and the person then comes and prescribes verse 14, Pastor Rick, I'm suffering, I'm sick, come anoint me, and we go, and we're obedient, we anoint them, we pray for them, we, and we pray in the name of the Lord, and it says the prayer of faith will save the sick. The assumption then is if you do verse 14, then verse 15 will be guaranteed. And so that's where there's difficulty. And the difficulty, of course, is that we don't necessarily see that played out in Scripture every time or in our own experience every time. Because there's been times where I have sincerely and earnestly, wholeheartedly prayed for people who were sick and anointed them with oil. And God didn't heal them. You run into all kinds of trouble if you believe that this is prescriptive at all occasions because then people may start having to explain, well, that didn't happen. They'll say, well, you didn't have enough faith then. So not everyone who is sick or ill has been healed when prayed for. And I challenge that idea that it's all it's because it's lack of faith and only lack of faith. Because even in Scripture, we find out that that doesn't, that doesn't play it out. And so because of that, then there are many who say, okay, well, it can't mean then physically sick. It has to mean then 
spiritually weak. Oh, they're weak in their faith. They're weakened spiritually. And so then when they're prayed for, God will strengthen them spiritually. God will raise them up and save them spiritually. Now again, I look at that and think, okay, I, I can track with that. James makes an emphasis on the prayer of faith. Back in chapter 1, he said, we're to ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the, you know, the wave of the sea and the wind being tossed around, and let not that person suppose they'll receive anything from the Lord. James 1, 6 and 7. And so there's some difficulty. The context of James 5 seems to be more about emotional, mental, and spiritual hardships than physical sickness. And so because of that, I think, okay, I can see why some would interpret it that way. Even the idea of being saved or that the Lord will raise them up and the prayer of faith will save them. It means to make them whole, to heal, or to restore. And so on one hand, absolutely, we're feeling spiritually drained or weak having a rough day. And yeah, let's seek prayer. Ask God, you know, those who God has placed in a spiritual authority to pray for us that we can be restored and strengthened. However, I, personally, I don't think that's limited to just spiritual weakness. The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And much of the ministry of Christ was physical healing, sickness, and disease. And personally, I, I, I do believe that Jesus still heals people today. Divine healing. The caveat, though, it doesn't mean that healing will always come. And so I, I, I think it's wrong for us to look at this as a mere formula, as though results are guaranteed. You know, when Jesus healed people, he never healed them the same way twice. And why is that? Because I, I, think, I think God knows we become easily enamored and, and attached to formulas and rituals, right? What's, what are the steps? What, what are the boxes I need to check in order for me to get, you know, cured of this thing? But Jesus wants us seeking him by faith, not a formula. Now, we wouldn't follow a ritual but, or, or to recite something without relationship. And we tend to gravitate towards that. We like the seven steps to a slimmer waist, right? We, you know, these steps to better sleep or these steps to financial freedom. We, we, we like those things. We gravitate towards that. But, but Jesus doesn't prescribe a formula for us in this. The key, as I mentioned earlier, is verse 14, in the name of the Lord, according to his power and his prerogative. That's the idea. It reminds us, certainly we can come to the Lord. And let's pray and believe in faith that God's going to heal and God's going to restore and God's going to save and God's going to do an amazing thing. And it becomes a personal petition. It's relationship, not formula. But at the same time, it's subject to the power and the prerogative of the Lord. And I think in the name of the Lord is the important qualifier. What God decides that he wants to do. Because there are times where the Lord may choose not to physically heal. But he'll certainly spiritually strengthen. You know the, the case in point, and I'll close with this. It's Paul the Apostle himself. 
Paul the Apostle talks about in 2 Corinthians this thing, and he doesn't tell us what it is. It's some kind of ailment and trouble that God gave to him as a means, and Paul says, to keep me humble. So I wouldn't get a, my paraphrase, I wouldn't get a big head. And he says, three times I pleaded with God, please take this thing away from me. Paul the apostle, miracle worker, church planter, suffering, hurting, comes to the Lord on three occasions and says, God, please take this thing away from me. And God's response to him, my paraphrase is, no, buddy. I'm not doing that. But here's what I'll do instead. My grace I'm going to give you, and that's sufficient for you. God wanted to strengthen Paul spiritually. He's looking for a physical deliverance from something. And the Lord says, nope, I'm going to make you perfect through your weaknesses, and my power will be manifested in that. Then Paul says, okay, then I'll gladly boast in that then. I'll be okay with that, that the power of Christ might reside upon me. And then he says, and you know what? Then I'm content. I'm content then in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities because he came to realize it's in that place when he's physically weak, when he's, uh, you know, at his lowest, then he can experience the strength of the Lord. So it may not be physically, a physical healing the Lord wants to give you, but a spiritual strengthening. All right. We're going to pause there. I didn't finish that last part of verse 15. We'll, we'll save that for next week. It'll tie into uh, verse 16, where James connects sin and suffering in our prayer life. It's a very important conversation we need to have. Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time this morning. May we be those, as your word tells us, to pray without ceasing, to pray at all times. And Lord, especially when life is difficult, life hands us troubles, Lord, may we turn and just hand them right to you, that that would become the prompt to pray, that we wouldn't run off. And Lord, a crisis certainly does not dictate an unbiblical response. And sometimes that's exactly the way we go. But Lord, may we come to you humbly and bring our cares and concerns and worries and frustrations and bring it all to you, Lord. God, and when life is great, I pray that we wouldn't forget to praise and worship you, Lord, that we wouldn't be guilty of being like the nine who just took your blessing and left and didn't come back to say thank you, Lord. Forgive us when we've done that. And God, when we're sick, when we're low, when we're depleted, when we're just in a place of feeling beat up, God, thank you that you remind us we're not alone. We're not alone. And there's a responsibility then that we have to reach out and ask for prayer and ask for people to come and be involved. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning, they find themselves in that place, Lord, that this would be an encouragement to them of your love and of your grace. And Lord, we thank you because there are times where you don't, you don't answer by a physical healing, but it's a spiritual strengthening that you desire. 
that we too might realize that your grace is sufficient for us in all things. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, church family, I love you guys. I pray that you have.